When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Talking City Podcast. I'm your host for today, Alex Brunton, and um, yeah, Dan Murphy, our usual host, isn't here today. He's off on his holidays somewhere, but what a game he's picked to miss. Um, yeah, we're here to talk about obviously Manchester City's free-free draw away at Newcastle United. Sure to go down as a Premier League thriller for the ages. It was incredible contest, and uh, joining me today. Uh, who was with me at, at St James's Park yesterday is is Simon Bykowski. How are you doing, Si? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Alex. It's for for a very boring team, they're involved in a lot of exciting matches, aren't they, City? <laughs> yeah, that is a uh, that is very true. Last season, there was quite a lot of jibes aimed at City about you know killing killing the contest, being boring, wanting to keep the ball. But you know what? Maybe that's something they could have done a bit more of yesterday, as uh, as Pep alluded to after the game, because this was just a breathless end-to-end contest um one of the best matches i've probably seen in person for sort of sheer entertainment value maybe not for stress levels while you're trying to write during the game but um (laughs) yeah a great a great match for everyone involved um uh, really so um i think it's just such a it's such a mad game i think you know we'll have to just do a little quick chronological you know recap of what happened so obviously city started pretty well the perfect start really ilkay gundogan putting them ahead after five minutes um doing that thing that ilkay gundogan does really well, just ghosting between the space, uh, converting that Bernardo Silva cross. Then after that, you know, City had a few more chances. De Bruyne had a, an attempt uh, saved by Nick Pope, who had an excellent game. And then it kind of all fell apart. Nathan Ake went off with a with what um, Guardiola said was a groin injury after the game. Uh, he went off around 20 minutes. Ruben Diaz came on. Newcastle scored twice. City looked very nervy at the back, um, kind of all over the place. Couldn't cope with the likes of Alan St. Maximan and uh, Miguel uh, Almiron. And then second half, things got worse. Kieran Trippier scored a brilliant free kick. Um, but then City did what they, you know, they've kind of made a habit of doing in recent years. They um, they dug in, they came back, two quick foul goals from Erling Haaland and Bernardo Silva and 3-3 is how it stayed in the end. So um, if we're, we're just going to, now we've had that recap, we'll just, you know, pick out a few sort of key points from the afternoon. Um, what, did you sort of make of the team selection, side? Because I guess, well, Guardiola made two changes from the team that sort of comfortably beat Bournemouth uh, the weekend before. But I'm not sure anyone really expected John Stones to be coming in for Ruben Diaz. And perhaps n- maybe Bernardo Silva, but I don't think we quite expected to see him on the wing. What did you make of it when when the team news came out at half uh, three? Yeah, half yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone uh, joked to me today, actually, that maybe Ruben Diaz was being rested for... For the Barcelona friendly, you never know. But uh, <laughs> no, I think it it didn't sound on Friday like John Stones was going to start because he's not had any, he, he's not started the game this season. And Guardiola was kind of talking about the Barcelona game and saying, you know, maybe the players that haven't played that much will play like John. Um, 
and so yeah, it was a surprise to see Diaz on the bench, especially because you know two seasons ago he was the kind of number one centre back probably in the league, and uh, and last season again he was he was very very important. So uh, Guardiola likes everyone to be involved, but I was still surprised to see that it was um, Stones coming into the team. Bernardo coming in on the wing was unexpected as well. Um, Less of a surprise in the fact that the City midfield three of Rodri, Gundogan and De Bruyne has been so good in the past two games, whereas can't really think of anyone who's played well on the wing um, so far. So, you know, with uh, with Grealish missing with injury, it was, um, you know, two out of Bernardo, Foden and, and Mahrez. And if you want to get Bernardo into the team, then that was that was a way to do it. Mm. Just on the Grealish sort of absence, quickly a little, um, uh, just to, just to go to that. Like I've seen it suggested in a few places that it might have been a diplomatic decision with the whole Almiron <laughs> thing. I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pretty sure it. No, no, no. no. I, I think that's sort of yeah outlets that perhaps aren't as in tune with City. But I don't. I don't think City would leave Guardiola would leave him out just because of that. Um, for anyone that doesn't realise, you know, Jack Grealish made some. Slightly unkind comments about um, again about Almiron in uh, during City's trophy parade um, at the end of the uh, of the Premier League season, but yeah, he was absent yeah. on Sunday, and and, and, uh, and it really um, you know it didn't really wash across the City fan base, but it really left a mark on Newcastle's didn't it because they had like a, a flag as well yeah. uh, for Almiron before the game, didn't they? Yeah, and obviously Almiron, I, I don't know if he's used that as fuel to. Um, you know, boost his own um, sort of performance. But he had a great game and obviously scored Newcastle's first goal. And along with sort of Alan Saint-Maximan, caused City a lot of defensive issues. So I think that's probably the perfect way to to go over to City's defensive issues. Um, We'll come back to sort of the good elements of City's performance in a bit, but let's get the bad out of the way first. It was pretty bad uh, for quite a lot of the afternoon. After a sort of opening 15 minutes where... City looked, you know, it looked kind of like it'd be a normal day at the office, you know, sort of soak up the pressure at times that you do get when you go to Newcastle because, you know, they're, they're a decent team. They've, it's a it's a big old stadium with a very loud fan base behind them. It's it's You do come under the cosh. But when um, Ruben Diaz came off and David Ake around that time, it did Newcastle were just coming wave after wave. Kyle Walker in particular was really struggling with um with Alan Say Maximan on that wing. Um what kind of what did you kind of think were the sort of main issues with um with City's defence and why were they, you know, so unable to really cope? Whereas usually they, they do find ways to cope with these kind of teams that counterattack them. Yeah, I mean Newcastle had sort of the type of attack that that will hurt City if they're if they're on on song and they very much were, you know, by all accounts and Maximan had kind of the game of his Newcastle career. He was unstoppable. He just tore, tore Kyle Walker and John Stones apart again and again and again. Um, and then Callum Wilson uh, and Almiron were excellent. Bruno in the midfield was really terrific as well. Uh, you know, it takes something to boss the City midfield around, even when they're, they're not playing well, but he did it so I mean, yeah, some, someone described it as sort of as close to being at Anfield as a City fan as you can get. It just felt like that kind of Liverpool attack when they come come at you relentlessly. It was just like that. And City really didn't have have an answer um, to it. I mean, 
yeah, they just couldn't get a handle on on some Maximan and the runs in in behind. And it, it's very, it's very rare that you see City taken apart like that. But when they do get taken apart, they um, it is normally pretty spectacular. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, we we were both there to to hear um, Guardiola speak after the game, and he kind of when he was asked about Newcastle's performance, he kind of, you know, said how good they were and how good Eddie Howe is as a coach. But he also then went into why City looked to be struggling so much against their kind of approach. And the main kind of point that he had was that players like uh, Kevin De Bruyne and, and Phil Foden and, and Bernardo and Haaland, they're very direct. And the way that City were playing, it was kind of, they'd get the ball and then sort of look to play someone straight through on goal, very direct, which kind of compared to last season, City were a lot more controlled in, in terms of in the attacking, in the sort of final third, they tried to keep the ball, you know, make the extra pass. And, and Guardiola said, you know, if we'd made more passes in the final third, it might have been a bit more controlled. Um, I guess the sort of obvious questions is, well, why didn't they do that? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, and the obvious, one of the obvious solutions is Jack Grealish. Um, who Guardiola mentioned afterwards, didn't he, as one of those players that could have done. So another reason there why he uh, would have been if, in the squad if he if he could have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mares sat for the whole game on the bench and Guardiola mentioned him again, but has spoken before about what a, what a trusted guy he is in, you know, the biggest stages, the big atmospheres. And St. James's Park is certainly one of those. So it... it I don't know. It did feel kind of odd that they were missing that calming presence. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, I've seen the idea that this is what all teams should do against City. And Newcastle could have lost that game like 6-3. So for, for, for how well they played and how good they battered City for at least 45 minutes... And they still could have got a hiding in the scoreline and on on another day would have done. So I think that kind of shows just how how good you have to be to beat City. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, we should give Newcastle their praise. As, as Guardiola said after the game, you know, when Brentford beat United 4-0, it was all the talk was about how bad United were. But, you know, you've got to give these teams um, the, the, you know, the credit they deserve because Newcastle were brilliant. Um, and, you know... City could have won the game, but you could probably argue Newcastle could as well. They um, had a few chances and, yeah, just didn't take them and 3 free is how it ended up. But just to stay on the sort of the style and that, do you think the fact that Mares did stay on the bench, even though Guardiola said after the game, you know, he's the kind of guy that would play the extra pass, sort of keep that bit more control, have it stop the game being so end-to-end -end and kind of breathless. Do you think this is a kind of, not like a turning point, but this season, City style was, you know, keep control, make the extra pass, guard against the counter-attack. This time, now that De Bruyne is already kind of on song, whereas last season it, it took him a good three, four months to get up to speed. Now that they've got Erling Haaland, now that Phil Foden is also sort of pretty much up to top speed now, do you think it's a case of, you know, sometimes you've just got to embrace the madness of it and just, you know... It'd almost be like City's talents will be not wasted, but you know, to get the most out of them attacking wise, you need to just let them be a bit more direct. Do you think that's yeah, I perhaps think, something that's I think got to be balanced this year? Yeah, 
I mean, they look more direct to me. They look like they're going more through the middle. Um, but against West Ham, they were very, very patient. They kept the ball. They passed around and around West Ham and wouldn't, and then just waited for that moment where West Ham were um, sort of loose to spring Haaland free. I think the the bulk of when City were, get, were getting torn apart was that, that first half, probably from sort of minutes 10 to 45, they were getting battered. And I mean, they conceded in the second half, but it was a free kick. And it was a free kick that came from Almiron, uh, to Maxman being brought down by Stones. But Newcastle didn't trouble City as much in the second half as they did in the first. So maybe, you know, it, it's a big thing to make a substitution in the first half. Maybe Guardiola thought, we'll let them get in at half-time, compose themselves, the eleven. That, that played that first half, get out, see what it's like. And maybe in his head, the second half, they were better. Um, and they started causing Newcastle problems themselves. So he didn't need to turn to to Mahrez. And they were chasing the game, trying to get back into it. So so maybe that. I, 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 I don't think Guardiola will move away fully from the idea that he does need that sort of slowness in his attack. Because mm. that has been been a hallmark of of his city side but at the same time i think they will be more direct and fast now that they've got harlan in the team and like you say de bruyne in form yeah yeah definitely um just sort of yeah obviously nathan ake went off um with the with the groin injury after about 20 minutes uh it does leave city obviously we don't know how sort of the severity of that injury. Um, Guardiola did say that Ake absolutely will not play in that friendly in Barcelona on Wednesday. But it does leave City a little bit short again at centre-back. You know, Imerit Laporte isn't isn't back yet. And, you know, he's going to take a few weeks at least when he does return to training to sort of be match ready. Um, are you concerned at all about the centre-back op- centre back options from, from sort of yeah. going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've we've spoken, haven't we, about how it's not a deep squad, and with Laporte already being injured, I, I don't know. To, I, I don't know how you felt. To me, Guardiola didn't give the impression that the Aki injury was sort of um, nothing to worry about. He seemed quite yeah. bothered by it, mm. um, which would which is a problem, you know, if you've only got four centre backs and two of them have significant injuries, then you, you've no cover, basically. And there's, there's Luke Mbete from the academy, um, but he's not really been tested at first team level. You've got Calvin Phillips or Rodri that could play there, maybe. Um, but it, it's, not, it's not ideal. And that's when, you know, we talk about how strong this City team is and how much strength they've got in all these positions. But... The defense, there is not that much cover at all. Um, and so you, yeah, if if you've not got um Ake and Laporte, you're looking at Diaz and Stones or or Bust. And we had that a bit at the end of last season, and Guardiola kind of kept trying to get as much as he could out of the only fit players he had, and it didn't work, which isn't to say that it might work, might you know, it won't work this time, but it's. It's a big risk, it feels like. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that you know if we'd had this conversation last season and we were saying you know Nathan Ake goes off injured in the first half against Newcastle, we'd just sort of be like, well, you know, Diaz and Stones, let's go. Yeah. But as we saw on Sunday, you know, John Stones looked like he hadn't started many Premier League games in the last year for City, and they those two as a partnership looked like they hadn't really played much together since that you know 2020 2021 season where they were absolutely superb. So. Obviously, if Ake's ruled out for for a while, then hopefully it doesn't take Stones and Diaz long to kind of rekindle that superb partnership that they had. But it's not um, doesn't look too great based on the evidence we saw yesterday. But fingers crossed that Pep's sort of abrupt answer in the press conference about Ake's fitness isn't an indication of the severity of it. But um, we've had a lot of the negatives, so should we, should we talk a little bit about? <laughs> yeah, why not? That why not? It was um, there were positives, you know. Obviously, aside from the fact that it's probably one of the most exciting games of football we'll see this season. You know, lots of quality from both teams. And um, and there was shed loads of quality in both of the City goals. Um, we'll start with the Ilkay Gundogan's fifth-minute uh, strike that put City 1-0 up. And, you know, as I, as I said at the top of the show, like, we all know now how good Gundogan is at making those sort of not even far post, it's kind of the half space between the centre-back and, and the full-back, you know, just ghosting in at the exact right moment. And um, and he's usually pretty reliable in, in front of goal, isn't he? Do you think he's kind of on course to have another one of those? I mean, he scored a few goals last season, but in 2020, 2021, I think he was City's top scorer with 13, I think it was. Do you reckon, I mean, he's two in two in three games now, isn't it? Do you think he's yeah. on track for another uh, impressive year? I mean, I'm not sure he'll outscore Haaland, but he, he's certainly looking <laughs> looking very good and kind of benefiting from from getting in the box, you know, and being close to, to Haaland. Um, we saw at West Ham, he kind of laid on Haaland for the penalty. Um, Bournemouth, he played a one-two with him to get uh, his goal. And then, you know, they, they linked up very well again yesterday. I think, his kind of number 10 background will serve him very well. Um, and yeah, he, he looks, he looks very good, especially considering he didn't go on the, um, the first team tour in summer. You'd never be able to tell that he kind of missed out on that, um, intense fitness training, uh, with the, with the first team and with Harland, who he's not played with before. I think they, uh, next to each other in the dressing room. So I'm sure they, they can chat some some them, but it, it it takes time to build those relationships. But you know, Gundogan is is one of the the smartest players in the in the squad and on the pitch, and so it it is looking like he's you know in very good form. He started the season brilliantly, and he started the season looking like he will get into the box, into those goal scoring opportunities, and and taking them. And, and like you say, if he um, if if he gets that space in the box, then then he usually takes it. Yeah, and um, we should also mention just a, a great cross from Bernardo Silva as well. But also something I wanted to highlight, and we'll we'll come on to this now when we talk about Haaland's goal to um, put City back in the game when they were three one down. Um, I, you know, obviously we all know that he's, he's going to score a shed load of goals, and you know he's he's a he's a poacher. He can score any type of goal. You know, he forced a few good saves out of Nick Pope. His goal to sort of half the deficit um, was was a sort of a classic poacher's finish. You know, the the, the swinging cross was put to the back post. I think it was Rodri flicked it back, and uh, and Haaland was just in the right place to smash it in. But what I found more interesting than that was 
the way that he, he the roles that he played in City's two other goals. Um, so obviously that first goal for Gundogan, um, having watched it back a few times, you you can sort of see that he is occupying the sort of centre back. Obviously, one centre back's come across to try and block the cross, and the other centre back's so sort of preoccupied with Haaland that this space just emerges for Gundogan to go into. And then with Bernardo Silva's goal um, that, that drew City level as well, um, if you look at it closely, Haaland does take a little step sort of away from goal as if he's coming short for the ball. Um, and that just creates a little bit of space that Bernardo needs to sort of run in, collect the Bruyne's pass and, and slot it past the keeper. So I guess the question is, how how sort of impressed have you been with with Haaland's kind of movement and off the ball abilities, considering that, you know, a lot of people said that he wasn't very good at those things when he yeah. joined City. So what, what, what are you reckon of that? Yeah, I don't know because of that reputation, but his off the ball stuff has really, really impressed me. And I, he puts a lot of hard work in, doesn't he? And he's really intelligent in his movement, but there also just feels to be like this aura around him where Premier League defenders kind of half really want to stop him and half are terrified of the movement he's going to make. So they are preoccupied with him and that does allow other, you know, quality city players to, to benefit. I mean, he, he had a chance at three, two just after he got back and uh, he couldn't quite sort his feet out and Pope save well, but you know, some of the, the Northeast journalists were, were marveling at just how he, he bounced Sven Botman off the ball. You know, he's their sort of big, big Newcastle uh, defender and just kind of was brushed off as if he was a an empty bag of crisps, really. So this like physique that Haaland's got and combined with his his movement and ability, it's, it's really quite something. And then you add that to what he can do with the ball at his feet and you can see why why every club in the world wanted to sign him, really. Yeah, I thought it was perhaps slightly ironic that, you know, there's probably more questions in this game to ask about his finishing rather than his rather than his sort of build-up play, you know. But credit where it's due, Nick Pope pulled off a superb uh, low save to tip it onto the post, and then after hold after doing so well to hold off the two defenders, perhaps he should have done a bit better to to slide past him. But you know, benefit of the doubt, Nick Pope was probably well, he was my man of the match anyway. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it shows how mad a game it was as well that I didn't even like match of the day. They really played up that late chance that he had. Uh, whereas he just kind of I've, completely yeah, passed me one, back. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he could have easily scored four. Could have easily <laughs> scored four on Sunday. But um, yeah, it's. Um, I think it's pretty clear in it that you know he's a great finisher. Every strike has games where they miss a few chances, but you know if he still gets on the score sheet, he's doing these other things that are clearly very important in in Pep Guardiola's sides. And I also believe he had a few more touches than he did against um, against Bournemouth from West Ham. Um, so that'll please those. Yeah, that... one more touch than West Ham, yeah. Yeah. Although in fewer yeah, so... minutes, uh, more minutes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's he's clearly you know he's going to improve with every game, as Guardiola said afterwards. He's 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 always improving. He's always working on himself. He's he's uh, staying in great condition as well. He's started all of City's uh, games and the Community Shield, um, which was that was a bit of a concern. His fitness after a kind of an injury hit season at. At Dortmund, but he's um he's clearly on the right track, and um yeah, he's uh I think all the the critics after that Community Shield sort of underwhelming performance were a, a little bit uh premature, but I think 
you know, it, this wouldn't be a City podcast if we didn't throw in a few superlatives about Kevin De Bruyne because, yeah, he was just absolutely great again, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, I think that assist for De- Bernardo Silva's goal was just, yeah, you, I don't know. You just watched it with your mouth open, didn't you? Just how mm. how how good it was. He, he, he sees things that nobody else sees on the pitch. And I mean, credit as well, Bernardo, because Bernardo noticed it when no one else did. And, uh, and that was some turn and finish from him as well. I think that was kind of, mm. I missed out how good that was at the time because I was just focused on the pass. But um, yeah, I, d- I didn't think De Bruyne played that well, to be honest. It kind of mm. seemed like he he was a bit lost to see, he lost the, the midfield battle in the first half and he, he kind of struggled to to get going. But then you play a pass like that and you've, you've saved your team a point. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, sort of the uh, De Bruyne is never the guy that you you're going to want to sort of put a foot on the ball and calm things down. He is very much a sort of end to end dynamic midfield presence. But as you say, you can't really have too many complaints when he when he pulls things out of out of the bag like that. Um, and yeah, but on the topic of of De Bruyne, we're going to have to talk about the uh, the non red card for Kieran Trippier. Um, it was yeah, quite a device divisive one um lots of journalists around us were kind of couldn't make up their minds i mean it was yeah what 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 was your take on that because i think in real time i think we both kind of thought didn't we that it was a bit i can see why it's been given it was very you know very deliberate attempt from by kieran trippier to to halt the counter yeah quite high up on de bruyne's sort of knee as well yeah i think on first time i didn't quite appreciate how high up it was given how high up it was. So I probably thought yellow card, mm. but then having given it as a red and I mean, stills always make it look worse, but having given it as a red, I was surprised then that it was overturned. But then when the ref gets told to go and look at the monitor, you sort of think there's only one way this is going. Cause I think there have only been a handful, if that of, of referees kind of sticking with their, with their decision, but I, I don't know. Did you think red initially? Um, I think I think in real time I wasn't surprised that it was a red card. It was high speed, for, wasn't it? Which makes it for worse. me. It's I think I'm the opposite from you. Actually, I think in real time I thought, yeah, that's a red. And then, but with the replays, I kind of thought, well, you can on the replay you can see that it's not it's not studs up. It's the outside of yeah. of Chippier's boot. It's not quite you know, full on the knee. It's sort of the, the side near sort of going down a bit. So it's, yeah, I don't know. But as you say, I thought it was one of those where I'm not sure it was a clear and obvious error. So I'm not sure why VAR was allowed to sort of, well, why the referee was allowed to go and have a look and then change his mind. Because was it a clear and obvious error no. to give a red? No, but then... And I'd probably say... Yeah, but ultimately, it's I suppose it's the ref that is either right or at fault rather than VAR, isn't it? Because VAR has just said, mm. go and have a look. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. changed his, his mind. Yeah. I think I think the fact that we saw it differently as well just shows how yeah. how tough a call it was to, was yeah, to make. No. And it didn't, you know, it would have, it did add more drama to the game. Because um, even like, you know, you had Almiron's goal that was offside and then called on. So there was, it was so, so much that happened. Um and you know, you know, it, it might have changed things for the final fifteen minutes, but um, yeah, it, it's just hard to remember everything that happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure. Uh, safe to say that Pep Guardiola's coaching team were pretty 
you know they yeah. thought it was a red yeah. card Rodolfo Burrell in particular was not happy when it was yeah when it was overturned and, he was and straight up at the fourth official De Bruyne was rightly fuming as well because you know he's had mm. a career of people trying to kick his knees and his ankles and you know that may, maybe that his sort of reaction helped sway the referee I don't know um but he was yeah. certainly you know rightly infuriated by it yeah so it was a very dramatic game everything happened and uh, it means, well, the free free draw means that City have now got uh, seven points from three games from a possible nine. They've had some pretty underwhelming starts to seasons in sort of recent years. So, I mean, I think seven points from nine is, isn't bad at all. And coming up, though, on Saturday, looking forward, is a, is a, a visit to the Etihad Stadium for Crystal Palace, a team which have uh, caused a few problems for City in, in recent times. So, yeah, just looking forward to that. What are you kind of expecting from Saturday? Because I think, you know, it's is it two two or three in the last two or three seasons? You know, Palace have come and have taken taken points off City quite a number of times. Obviously, we had the uh, the defeat at home last season and the goalless draw at Sellers Park. So yeah. it's not quite maybe the sort of foregone conclusion that, that many people would just sort of think by looking at the table or, or the final standings or whatever. So what are you expecting uh, from Saturday? Yeah, it'd be tough. I'd be surprised if many teams have taken more points off City than Palace have in sort of the Guardiola era. You've got mm. like probably Liverpool, United, Chelsea yeah, maybe. South but, Southampton maybe. Yeah, but Palace right up there. Um, you know, some big victories and draws with Hodgson and then Patrick Vieira um a win and a draw last season so palace look very good again and uh, if they can get um as and Zahar running at walker and stones the way that that newcastle did they will cause cause them problems Vieira will be watching that tape from from st james's park very very closely and working out how palace can impact on on that and it it's kind of on city to respond and and get more control in the game than they than they managed to do against against Newcastle. Um, I mean, they've got this pre-season, not mid-season friendly against Barcelona. So, you know, the the one thing all fans will be hoping for from that game is is no more injuries, basically. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is is lose a player in any game, but especially a, a friendly match that's in that's squeezed between a, a, a fixture against a team who traditionally have have done very well against against Guardiola City so um you will have to hope that that City enjoy the the training camp that they've got on in in Spain and get some rest and uh, are fully fully prepared for that because from Saturday as well well with Wednesday really with Barcelona the um they basically play every three days for from now until the end of time so mm. that's something we've got to get get used to yeah, and obviously with the as we saw in Newcastle with the counter attack threat, I feel like you know we could see Guardiola perhaps switch things up a bit, look to get a bit more control, um, particularly as it's at home. You know, could see Mares come in, potentially Grealish if he's back um, back from injury, but we'll have to see uh, what Pep Guardiola decides to do. Uh, Simon is off to Barcelona this week to cover that uh, to cover that game, so you can. Um, are you sort of expecting a strong team at the at the camp now, or what do you reckon? I don't think it'll be a a really strong team. I think it'll be probably a stronger team than many fans would like. Um, mm. I, I guess that comes down to having quite a small squad, but um, 
you know, predictably it's probably going to be a, a Bernardo Silva sort of sideshow because because surely if you're looking to give minutes to players that haven't started that many games, Bernardo's up there. Um, mm. But then, you know, goodness knows what Barcelona have in store for him. Maybe they're just going to sort of throw a sack over him and not let him leave. I don't know. Yeah, I think if I was Guardiola, I'd probably leave Bernardo at home. He might <laughs> get a bit too attached to the camp now when he uh, when he walks out there. But uh, yeah, you know, could be could be interesting. Could have a could have a few. Um, well, could have a first sight of uh, Stefan Ortega in net, perhaps. Yeah, maybe yeah. Sergio Gomez at left back. You'd you know, th- see a bit more Gomez. of Julian Alvarez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd think those three would be kind of nailed on to play. Um, mm. Gomez yeah. was on the bench, obviously at Newcastle, but um, Alvarez is certainly one that has had high expectations but he's um he's not started ahead of Haaland yet but Pep saying yesterday that he will start games once they start playing every three days so um it'd be nice to see if he's kind of up to speed with with the city style of play yeah absolutely well don't eat too much tapas or drink too much sangria <laughs> in the uh Catalonian sun absolutely but yeah. not yeah if uh that's all for today's show so um you can obviously go over to www.manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City to catch her size reports from Barcelona on Wednesday. You'll get some more reaction to City's 3-3 draw with Newcastle. And then later on in the week, looking ahead to the visit of Crystal Palace, which promises to be another interesting game in the Premier League. So, yeah, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for, for joining, Si. No, and you. Nice to see you again. Yes, very nice, very nice. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I'll be back. Um, I mean, Dan will be back hosting next time. But uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Talking City. Now.